Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and uh, we're here broadcasting initially on the Fringe FM. Thank you for joining me. There's a lot of podcasts out there, so especially true crime. A little bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, It always seems like people are going to listen to some true crime, but also, on one hand, it's like, why bother? There's so many true crime podcasts out there, but I do love true crime. My dad was a detective, um, basically in retirement now, like right on the cusp of it, like literally on the cusp of it, uh, for the Anchorage Police Department. So I grew up around it. Um, You know, I totally, not to make this about cops or anything, but uh, my dad actually worked on the Israel Keys case a little bit, never spoke with Keys or interrogated him, but my dad's trained in, you know, advanced interrogation, like police interrogation techniques um and uh polygraph reading so you know he's the guy you call in if you really want to break someone down and then hook them up to a test to see how much stress they're going through in the questions um in order to see if they're potentially lying or not uh so he didn't do this with keys but he followed up the tip line with his real keys when um his victim samantha koenig went missing in alaska um you know, talking to all sorts of people, he said, including psychics, um, not that they were particularly uh, useful, uh, the psychic tips, but when you have a tip line, the idea is to at least look into every single one of them, you never know. So my dad was one of many people doing that. He also interviewed Samantha Koenig's boyfriend and her father. So that's some um, definitely involved and and as well um, at the end of the keys story, which we'll talk about a little bit here. He was involved in the cat and mouse financial ATM withdrawals uh, that they were trying to catch him on in order to apprehend him. And I also um, because I do I do enjoy uh, Dan Cummins suck master and his time suck uh, podcast. Um, I actually. Not long after they did the Israel Keys story, I called in. They have like a recorded call-in line like most podcasts, including this one, do. So don't forget, you can see that in the show notes, at least on Spotify. I think elsewhere. Dan listened to it in real time, like the recording, and commented on it. And I just told him a little bit about what my dad did. Um, And that was not on the official Time Suck podcast. It was on the official Time Suck Patreon podcast the space lizard podcast. So it's out there though. You can go check it out. That was pretty cool. Uh, it was nice to be acknowledged by a dude. I appreciate like the suck master himself, but yes, I mean, even still, there's a whole lot of true crime podcasts out there. So I hope to give this one a little bit of extra sauce of philosophical, potentially metaphysical, very Carl Jung inspired perspectives here. And there's a reason I'm doing this on the heels of episodes about, you know, mysticism, dream phenomena, sleep paralysis, possession. You can also go check out my episodes on serial killers and Jungian analysis. There's also an episode called Schizophrenic Serial Killers uh, and so forth. You know, you can follow a trail of breadcrumbs backwards if you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget my website, divemind.net, my books, Dive Manual and Hunt Manual. Go check out, um, <laughs> if you want some comedic relief, uh, Tippy Patson and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. In the past episodes, uh, check out the recent UFO documentary I was in, As Within, So Without, from UFOs to DMT, on the Mind Escape Patreon. Winner of the People's Choice Award at the UFO Expo in Roswell this year. Very psyched about that. All right. Let's talk about Israel Keys a little bit here, shall we? All right. We're going to jump around here. I have a collage of many quotes from different articles, including biography.com, the New York Post, the Bragg, and um, also the research of Maureen Callahan, who wrote the book American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. I think for context, it's uh, sick and interesting and not like sick, bro, um, to note that Keyes was very inspired by Ted Bundy 
and thought that BTK was what he called a wimp. Um, and I've read this once before on the show. This is a, a small um, but interesting segue between last episode and this episode about possession and psychology from a Jungian perspective, not from a, a religious orthodoxy perspective uh, for those that haven't heard it. But it does raise curious questions nonetheless. And uh, Bundy once stated to an interviewer, quote, what began to happen was that important matters were not being rearranged or otherwise interfered with by this voyeuristic behavior, but things were postponed or otherwise rescheduled to work around hours and hours spent on the street at night and during the early morning hours. And as the condition develops and its purposes or its characteristics become more well-defined, it begins to demand more time of the individual. There's a certain amount of tension, struggle between the normal personality and this, this psychopathological entity. This condition inside him, uh, Bundy is speaking in the third person here, seems to be competing for more attention. A point would be reached where we'd have all of this, this reservoir of tension building, building and building. The tension would be too great and the demands and expectations of this entity would reach a point where they just could not be controlled. Um, yeah, um, we should always be wary of a serial killer's own emphasis on something autonomous from them. But even if we look at this from a Jungian perspective, let's say there's not an actual entity, but there's some traumatic compulsions traumatic in the broadest scope of the word, meaning something that has affected us that we haven't integrated properly and has therefore largely defined us, it seems certainly possible that these serial killers are operating with impulses that are traditionally inhuman, much more animalistic. I would also like to read a little bit as context before we get into this from my book, Hunt Manual. It says, truly when it comes to the serial killer, we don't need a supernatural angle, which makes it all the more curious when we often find it um, in these cases still. Um, but first, it's necessary to emphasize that the patterns and habits of the serial killer certainly seem to follow these aforementioned pathways of the nervous system overload, as described in the last episodes, uh, followed by neurological gateways to states of consciousness that an average human is very unfamiliar with. Indeed, a 2012 scientific report entitled Serial Killing follows predictable pattern based on brain activity stated quote serial murder activity can be explained by a model describing neuronal firing in the brain very similar to the model that describes the distribution intervals between epileptic seizures law enforcement behavioral divisions have always noticed the cyclic nature of the serial killer and how eventually this cyclic nature seems to work its way into overdrive and put the killer in a sort of frenzy or berserker state of consciousness that tends to end in their capture. Not only does it fit a similar model to epileptic events in the brain, but it also has classically seemed to serve as a dark metaphor for substance addiction. As well, we can take it a step further and consider the amount of damage done to the frontal cortexes with so many serial killers. However literal or heuristic it may be, it seems that the frontal cortex plays some sort of role as an antenna to the collective consciousness through empathy and deep structural roles that the mirror neurons play in, human, in the human condition. And if we can speak of the temporal lobe's role in all this, as we did in the last episodes with temporal lobe epilepsy, um, then things wouldn't be complete without also mentioning the variety of injuries these killers and cult leaders have received to their frontal lobe whether it be John Wayne Gacy being hit in the head with an arching playground swing as a child, or Henry Lee Lucas's mother smacking him in the head with a wooden board and leaving him comatose in the corner for three days. Now, I don't know of any specific head trauma with Israel Keys. It doesn't always need head trauma, but these are interesting bits. And as we talked about in last episode, similar to um, the famous exorcism case of Annalise Michelle, who had temporal lobe epilepsy, uh, Richard Ramirez had temporal lobe epilepsy, and Arthur Shawcross, the Genesee River killer, had a cyst on his temporal lobe. So interesting notes. And when he was captured, Anchorage homicide detective uh, Monique Dole said of Keyes, 
He didn't kidnap and kill people because he was crazy. He didn't kidnap and kill people because his deity, Satan, uh, told him to, or because he had a bad childhood. Uh, and yes, Keyes was a Satanist, uh, self-proclaimed. Uh, serial, uh, serial keys. <laughs> Israel kind of right uh, did this because he got an immense amount of enjoyment out of it, much like an addict gets an immense amount of enjoyment out of drugs. In a way, he was an addict, and he was addicted to the feeling that he got when he was doing this. When asked by investigators why he commented on his crimes, Keys simply replied, "Why not?" Not only was he not remorseful, but he actively um, stated that he did not feel any regrets the only thing he wanted it wasn't even a regret he uh he wanted as little information to come out probably uh just for his own sake but he said because he wanted to give his daughter the best shot at life he he could without letting her life get tainted by this uh which is i don't know a pretty moot point at that rate once you're being um once you're in the, you know, being interrogated by feds for serial, uh, for serial murders. So I don't know. So here we go. Our, that was, I guess, the, um, the prologue. And here is our Tarantino introduction. And, you know, no disrespect to any victims, genuinely. We'll get into this more. I remember Samantha Koenig's posters hanging up and thinking, oh, God, I hope she didn't get like lost. You know, if she didn't fall into a frozen river or something, those are the things you hear about in Eagle River, Alaska, more often, far more often than someone being abducted and murdered by a serial killer. And this, uh, I'm going to read this bit from, um, what is her name? Maureen Callahan um, from uh, an article she wrote for the New York Post. On the evening of February 1st, 2012, a 34-year-old construction worker named Israel Keys waited outside the Common Grounds Espresso Stand on East Tudor Road in Anchorage, a tiny shack of a store with teal blue siding that sat in the parking lot of a local gym. It was already very dark. The sun had set at 5.06 p.m. and snowing heavily. Keys was waiting for the shop to close at 8 p.m. Uh, for the truck he knew was on its way. On this night in February, Keys walked up to the drive-thru and asked the lone barista Samantha Koenig on duty for an Americano, then shimmied his way inside the window. He was wearing a mask and a hoodie, and he had a gun. And there's little chance 18-year-old Samantha Koenig was able to absorb what was happening. He's worked in seconds, and before she knew it, Koenig was subdued and zip-tied and down on the floor of the shack with keys. They stayed there like that for a bit. Koenig's boyfriend, Dwayne Tortolani, was due to pick Samantha up at closing time. Keyes had been bored with going after lone targets and had recently begun challenging himself uh, with couples, but something this night made him reconsider. He grabbed Koenig and pulled her up, and though the shack sat adjacent to a six-lane highway and there was little in the way of vegetation or construction or anything, really, that could obscure this armed kidnapping from view, only the shop security cameras caught the masked man taking Koenig away. Two weeks later, the Koenig family had hope. Dwayne received a text message with directions to a specific site at a local dog park where he could expect to find a ransom note. He did. On one side was a photo the abductor had taken of Samantha, tied up with a copy of the Anchorage Daily News dated February 13th, 2012. Supposed proof of life. On the other side was a typed out note a demand for $30,000 to be deposited directly into Samantha's account. The Koenigs complied. By now, all of Anchorage's 380 cops were on the case, as was the FBI. The ransom note was good news. A demand for money delivered electronically meant the abductor would soon be leaving digital footprints, and just before midnight on March 8, 2012, Samantha's ATM card pinged for the first time from the lower 48 from a bank in Wilcox, Arizona. And somewhere in Wilcox, an FBI agent got the call, jumped out of bed, and raced to that location, where he would find nothing, because just after midnight on March 9th, 2012, Samantha, uh, Samantha's ATM card pinged again, this time from a bank in Lordsburg, New Mexico, a one-hour drive away. 
Surveillance video from both banks showed a uh, very little. The figure seemed to be a man, but he was wearing layers upon layers of clothing, likely to make himself look heavier, as well as a full face mask and glasses. Only one vehicle, however, was caught on tape at both locations within this time frame, and so the FBI knew they were looking for a man of average height driving a 2012 Ford Focus, likely headed east on the I-10 corridor. And I remember from some of the random research that I've done you know, over the years listening to this story and whatnot, uh, a funny note is that he was renting cars and trying to switch them up, and reportedly... Um, he was trying so he rented a, a white 2012 ford focus and then he tried to get another one um by returning that car to the same dealership or uh rental place you know just to make it easy i suppose on the run um <clears throat> if he had enough time he'd probably drop that one off go to a different dealership which is really what he should have done because or not dealership rental place but um um when he went to return the car um, all they had was just more white 2012 Ford Focuses. <laughs> um, on March 13th, up in Anchorage, Alaska, Officer Jeff Bell got a call. Electronic alerts had gone out to um, cops in the south and southwest, and a police officer had spotted a white 2012 Ford Focus in the parking lot of Equality Inn in Lufkin, Texas. An undercover had since been sitting on that vehicle round the clock. Uh, the driver was a white male, 30s, average height, average build. Police were ordered to tail the car and pull it over at the first possible opportunity. And when they did for speeding, they found Israel Keys, who had been asked to produce his driver's license, Alaska. The cops also found Samantha Koenig's ATM card and cell phone, along with the mask, a gun, and a dye pack. Keys had robbed a bank in Texas a few weeks back. That's right. This guy was also a bank robber, and he seemed to be fairly good at it. He did it several times. So Jeff Bell and his partner, uh, Detective Monique Dole, uh, were immediately booked on the red eye. By the time they reached the courthouse where Keys was to be arraigned, they had been up for almost 50 hours straight. Bell and Dole walked into the interview room where Keys was handcuffed and waiting. And you're probably wondering how we got here. Roop, roop, zip, 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 zip. All right, back to the beginning. And that was my uh, best rewind I could possibly do. How did we get here? How did we get to this weird cat and mouse game? You can actually um, see a recreated photo for investigative purposes um, of that quote unquote proof of life photo and how Israel Keys faked the proof of life photo was he used fishing line um warning here he used fishing line to tie her eyelids open and mimic a lifelike pose in general then he held a piece of paper in front of her and took a photo so his hand is in the picture and as i understand it um the photo that you can find online is a recreation but it's like an official recreation I don't know the details on that further. So the uh, the rest of this, I'm just going to go through some of what I have in memory and some a collage of different quotes uh, to help guide us through the story. And I'll put my notes in the or my uh, sources in the uh, show description. So the name Israel actually comes from this really weird offshoot white supremacist fundamentalist Christian belief about about um basically white americans being the original hebrew and how the original hebrew you know the modern day jewish people are imposters this is the literal white version of the black hebrew israelite thing that we've talked about a tiny bit on this show before where um there's you know it's basically a cult out there of um, and I do, I 100% um, um, black people, I guess, because I don't even know what you'd call them. Like what is like Caucasian? I don't know what that is for black people, the equivalent, but you know, whatever. Um, they're not given credit throughout history. And um, I know there are arguments for um, black people being 
like the original and that we all kind of came forth from that and had in, in the varying degrees, you know, that could still be true. And it's just not even in question that the modern day Jewish people are the original Hebrew that you just, <laughs> come on, come on. Uh, and the same goes for Israel Keys family. There's just no question that the that Jewish people are the original Hebrew. It's crazy. Um, and so they they were involved a little bit in Mormonism, but then they got involved in this specifically more um, uh, replacement Jewish Christian faith weirdness. Um, and they they were into like the militia movement. Um, and it says that uh, some of Maureen Callahan's work says that um, at 12 years old, Keyes was taking an interest in metaphysics, um, like, you know, like religious stuff. And this would be like the beginning of his fascination with the devil, ultimately. And uh, also interested in militia based white supremacist stuff. So guns, God and white people. You know, the mentality, uh, why it is right. <laughs> Some people raise kids like that. It's rough. Um, and sometimes they become serial killers. Um, so he um, also trigger warning here. Um, I'll, I'll say that um, research shows that um, he's uh, his preoccupations escalated into torturing animals, including um, shooting the family cat and apparently gutting a deer alive, probably wounding it first with a gun. I, how else would you do that? Um, and keys, uh, he, he said himself that by the time he was 18, he was pretty much, uh, felt like his next step in his phase was going to be towards people. Uh, but he joined the military I don't remember what branch, doesn't really matter. He spent some time at Fort Knox, spent some time in Egypt for the military. Um, and as a, uh, as a killer, um, he, his victims did not fit a profile, and he just stuck to people that happened across his path for the most part. He would often wait to accost people in places like parks, cemeteries, or campgrounds. Um, and when asked on the subject in interrogations about these places, he said, not as much to choose from people wise, um, in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witness really. There's no one else around. Now I couldn't find this next quote that I was thinking of, but there was a quote where he was talking to investigators, um, about how much he enjoyed hunting and fishing and hiking like so many Alaskans. Uh, it, it was just, and it sounded so normal at first, like a cover, like whoa. Well, I also like these things, and then it turned into. Except he also enjoyed the possibility of coming across someone in a remote wilderness setting, alone and unsuspecting. That way, he could find some new prey, some human prey. Oh my god! And then sometimes he would just stalk them, maybe kill them, maybe not. But he had weird rules too. He didn't harm children, at least not um, once he became a father. As far as we know, that's what he said. Um, he only used cash and he always removed batteries from his cell phone. He also never murdered where he lived. He didn't even murder in the same state, except for when he got sloppy and went into this weird berserker overdrive and just and went haywire on Samantha Koenig. And notes about Samantha Koenig, how sick this guy was. He, um, after abusing her, keeping her alive and abusing her, he kills her. And then he just leaves her body in a snowbank outside. I'm not looking at a note when I say this, but I know this story pretty well. So, hey, if I'm remembering that wrong, this is me speaking off the cuff here. Um, but I know for a fact that um, he went on a cruise. This is why it took two weeks for him to do his proof of life scheme because he actually went on a cruise. And when he came back, he found that her body had 
it was delayed, but the decomposition was starting to set in a little bit. What? Uh, oh, God damn. Um, the only other murder that Keyes actually confessed to in details uh, as a hopeful bargaining chip again uh, with detectives in his uh, in all the eminent hearings that were going to happen. Uh, Keyes also confessed to murdering um, the couriers in Essex, Vermont in June 2011. The couple was selected at random uh, as they fit Key's criteria of having no children, no dog, and a house with an attached garage, easy for entry. He broke into their home, subdued them, and then transported the pair to an abandoned farmhouse where he killed them both and abused them, particularly the woman. Um, and it also reports that he had a murder kit stashed near their home. So I think Keys was an opportunist, you know. He probably just stashed things around and, you know, with all his bank robbing money, he could afford to just never go back to it. And it was a numbers game. And then if he found a house, oh, my! I have a murder kid only a, a mile away from here. And he had murder kits. Let's see. Um, I don't think I've mentioned that yet, have I? Now. That was a big thing he was known for. Um, he um, he 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 would have murder kits that he stashed all around the U.S. Um, they've been found in Alaska and New York, but he also admitted to having some in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and Arizona. And these kits he buried were full of bank robbery cash, um, handguns, silencers, ligatures ammo, garbage bags, uh, duct tape, shovels, guns, rope, Drano, and lye. And the guns were like lubed up and fully functional. Now, and he didn't have all these in every single kit, but this is what these kits included. And there was one found on the bank of Eagle River where I grew up. Um, and the, uh, the, it, I, I, if I remember correctly, um, the stash included duct tape, a shovel, Drano, and there, there might have been a weapon involved. There was no gun, though. There might have been like a knife. Um, and that was, um, you know, not far off of um, walking trails that kids would use, including me sometimes, to walk home from school while he was active. And if, if I, as I understand correctly, that murder kid is no longer there. I believe that was one of the kids found in alaska and hey theoretically you could find some cash in these things it is possible theoretically to find an israel keys murder kit somewhere out there in alaska new york washington wyoming texas and uh arizona and you might find guns you might even find cash so i mean I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you're not advocating the killer by looking for his buried treasure. So, hey, have at it. Going to be a pretty tough uh, pick through, seeing as how he didn't give us many details. But it's possible. All right. I think we're going to go into the commercial break. Stick with me. We'll be right back after this. Don't forget, I'm Anthony Tyler. This is Black Hoodie Alchemy. We're talking about the infamous serial killer, Israel Keys. And we'll finish that up right after the break. These cold days got me in the physical rage. Walking through the dark path of this invisible maze. Yeah. These rappers trying to reach for notes. Singing off like they're vocalists. Hoping squawking no mean is dope. Your awkward demeanor's awful, homie. The streets don't know. I target people who talk and barking like females do. I pin grammatical sheet, rock mathematical anecdotes. My repertoire damage your weak spots. They label me a lowlife. Cause I stroll nights and no light. Hoodie over my face, got no eyes or ghost bites. You drop flat on your belly. I'm iller than tapping the celly off an exes or adversary. When you speak, you as pathetic a rapper gets. The facade and gimmicks, hypothetical bandages, evangelical madness here. It's like a second home whenever the record's on. A minute's a second gone to blow steam. I just left home fast. I'm past curfew by my lonesome. The headphones blast. And in the 
chill, be giving a backache But living these past days reckless I'm thinking of hitting the backspace I grind your bones to the grains of sand Able hands your elementary flow Be sticking it to layman's ass I break more legs than a stable has Hate to brag when you make a rap Those more mistakes made the replacement refs Lyrical nightmare with cynical type flair A venomous bite here They might even put a conditional price tag I struggle with thoughts, rebuttal with art The muzzle comes off, a puzzle gets solved Stunning with songs wandering off Through the back rows my path chose Daily living is mainly giving me class notes Recall when days was abusive Pain was seducing me right into a state of confusion Wish the phase was elusive These lampposts each lit As I walk by in reality I plan to grip like I'm all climbing Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Hello, everybody. This is dang old uh, Tippy Patson here from um, the Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes. I, I'm just, uh, we're trying to get a whole bunch of different people um, down to the Everglades where we formed our little uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, so we can uh, figure out animal telepathy and we can wrestle Illuminati gators and make gator nuggets and uh, we can, um, you know, stop the harvest of adrenochromy and we can smoke a whole lot of catnip and do, and basically save humankind. So, you know, if you want to hear the Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes, uh, where me and my crew, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, are uh, um, telling, you know, bringing our message, just check out Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes 14, 30, 32, 33, 34, 35, and 38. Now, just remember, Tippy Patchen wants you to come down to the Florida Everglades and help him save the world from the Illuminati alligators. Uh, but there will be no animal wanking off. Uh, don't we don't do that here anymore? Okay. Well, we're just gonna be wrestling them. No, no other, no bad touches. All right, come down to the Everglades. Take care. Bye. Yes, hi, hello. My name is uh, codename Jefferson Tillamuxlinger, former Illuminati cloning lab manager and current member of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm here to tell you about our special GoFundMe link to help us get to uh, Ravioli, Finland in order to meet with our friend Judo Kevorkian and track down the Lovecraftian Titan known as Santa the Claus. We're still wrestling Illuminati Gators, but we're, you, you know, trying to branch out, you know, so go to tippypatson.edu.com forward slash backslash dot gov and find our GoFundMe link. And you can also purchase some of the dolphin glue head gel that we've made with our friend Silverback Commando. Uh, remember kids, do school and uh, stay in drugs. I mean, that's what the bathrooms are for anyway. Uh, get in there with your hall pass, do a line of blow, you know, maybe pound off and have a cigarette and then get your ass back to classy rapscallion. All right, I, I think that's it for now. Goodbye. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. 
Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with me through that break. You're still listening to Black Hoodie Alchemy. And uh, we're still talking about the satanic Alaskan serial killer, Israel Keys. We haven't talked a whole lot about his Satanism yet, but we will. Uh, we're going to wrap up this little uh, summary of his story first, though. Um, and all that's truly left is that, if you didn't know already, Keyes committed suicide in his Anchorage jail cell on the night of December 1st, 2012. So he was really afraid of that uh, Mayan apocalypse, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. A dumb joke. Uh, despite warnings not to provide Keyes with a razor blade, apparently he was given one, and he slit his wrists and also strangled himself with a sheet while lying in bed. Uh, his body was not discovered until the morning. And he uh, he made this like a terrible poem and um, a drawing of it was like blood in his own blood, I believe, of. Um, uh, he has some sort of picture of skeletons and whatever else. I think there's a pentagram involved and it was like 11 skulls or stars or some bullshit um, to signify all of his supposed victims. But again, he only told us any sort of detail about three but you know for the hell of it let's read his final poem this is this is what he wrote to be remembered by this is why see he's a satanist right but he's not a satanist like richard ramirez um i guess in a strange way um i'm going to bat for richard ramirez only only in the sense of he was like truly unhinged. You're going to say anything about him. He was truly unhinged. He didn't even have the regular fake alter ego. He was just a monster on the streets eating, living off of candy and hookers and just bloodlust. <laughs> um, this guy, Israel Keys, was more like a grown version of Elliot Roger, you know, the perfect gentleman. Um, and for those that don't remember, Elliot Roger was the kid of a famous Hollywood producer that worked on like some Transformers movies and others. And he was making these terrible YouTube videos and blog posts about how he was the perfect gentleman um, and was angry at women for not realizing it when in reality he was as douchey as you could possibly get, really. Um, and instead of realizing that, he ended up taking his fancy sports car that his dad bought him and just running over a bunch of people. I don't know if he's alive today or not. He's definitely rotting in prison, though, if not dead. Probably still alive. Um, but uh, this is more like what Israel Keys was. He was not an unhinged monster. He was a sad little man that was lashing out. And... He was, seemed to be very into Satanism, but Richard Ramirez was into the more primal live and breathe it. This guy was into making himself look cool. You know, he liked new metal and bad poetry. So here we go. Here's a Israel Key's suicide poem. Where will you go, you clever little worm, if you bleed your host dry? Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back the black, neat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molder below. Turn away quick, bob your head to the seat. As straight through that stop sign, you roll loaded truck with lights off, slams into your board sign, your flesh smashed as pedals explode or as metal explodes. You may have been free. You're loved living your lie. You you may have been free. You loved living your lie. Fate had its own scheme. Crushed like a bug, you still die. Soon now, you'll join those ranks of dead or your ashes. The wind will soon blow. Families and friends will shed a few tears. Pretend it's off to heaven you go. 
but the reality is you were just bones and meat and with your brain died also your soul send the dying to wait for their death in comfort of retirement homes quietly quickly say it's for the best it's best for you so their fate you'll not know turn a blind eye back to the screen soak in your reality shows stand in front of your mirror and you preen in a plastic castle you call home oh god oh my god okay we just can't read all this this is terrible this is terrible Ugh. all right um are there any highlights violent metamorphosis emerge my dark moth princess i would come often a worship on the altar of your flesh uh you shudder with revulsion oh and try to shrink far from me i'll have you tied down and begging to become my stockholm sweetie oh man i can almost hear like the turntables and like chug a lug guitar in the background this guy is awful gross um okay talk is over words are placid and weak back it with action or it all comes off cheap watch close while i work now feel the electric shock of my touch open my trembling flower or your petal or your petals i'll crush okay that's the end um uh he also says at one point land of the free land of the lie land of the scheme americanize Ooh, wow um i guess he says that a few times in the poem um get in your big car so you can go to work fast on roads made of dinosaur bones what i don't that's not right is it and they don't make roads out of dinosaur bones uh punch in the clock and sit on your ass playing stupid ass games on your phone <laughs> paper on your wall say says you got smarts um the test that you took told you so but you will still crawl like vermin the vermin you are once your precious power grids blown oh god this guy you see what i mean he's just a bad uh he's just someone who grew up um he's got that like jet pilot mentality where you're just a badass and everything you do is untouchable and you're special and uh, you're meant to be doing special things and i mean hey in that tongue-in-cheek way let's all feel like that but in a keep the tongue in the cheek right you know like uh keep the other perspective we all have our many pitfalls uh but the the jet pilot mentality doesn't have the tongue in the cheek at all um and this guy instead of becoming a jet pilot or a neurosurgeon or a lawyer he uh just studied a bunch of douchey douchey evil but like also very just gross douchey people um serial killers and various scumbags you know he just loved true crime in general and thought that he could perfect it and be the ultimate serial killer so he put murder kits all across the country and you know a lot of times he would um you know like fly to a certain state rent a car in that state drive to another state abduct someone drive to a fresh state uh do whatever he's going to do with them and eventually kill them then drive to another state another fresh state dump the body drive to maybe another state oh you know i'm sure he took the quickest route possible but he was so meticulous and he dumped the uh, the, the evidence and then went home so this guy probably would have never been caught there's a good chance he would have never been caught if he hadn't gotten sloppy. And hey, I hate to go there, but think about the people that aren't caught yet. That's why I think it's important to look into these stories because there's plenty of living proof to show that dark fascinations don't lead to madness or a darker mentality. Maybe they do with some people, but in that alchemical mindset, um, I mentioned Dan Cummins earlier. He's a perfect example of someone that should just be a total deviant by now. Uh, that show gets super graphic sometimes. <laughs> I, do, I would not be able to go into as much graphic detail. Uh, it's brutal. And there's a lot, that's part of what podcasting is good for is 
you shouldn't necessarily shy away from that as long as it's in reverence for the victims and understanding that these people are humans and keeping the humanity in the story. But anyway, um, and that's the best case scenario. Yes, it can be desensitizing, but not if it's balanced. And in the best case scenarios, can you just size someone up and say, oh, that person's a killer. I don't trust them. No. No, I don't really think so. But what you can do is trust your gut because there's all sorts of hormones and pheromones and electromagnetic interaction. That's not wooey. That's basic science. Um, you know, our brains and our hearts um, have electromagnetic uh, fields that they give off. There's all sorts of unconscious or subconscious cues. And if you trust your gut about someone that's weird, I do think you can avoid these situations at least easier. Um, and um, if nothing else, I do think that at least for me and so many others, knowing the fragility of life helps us cherish it more. So, you know, rest in peace to Samantha Koenig um, and, and all the victims related to this story. So in the end, really, what can we say about Israel Keys, douchey, pretentious, evil, predatory, bad taste in poetry. My God. Um, what else? Went out the coward's way. Didn't even give us a whole lot of details. Didn't even give us names going out. Wrote some bad poetry. Guys, guys, just such a dick. This reminds me of uh, Shoko Asahara, the Om Shinrikyo Japanese death cult leader, who once he was captured, he uh, gave up in such an astonishing way. <laughs> you almost have to appreciate the level of dedication. Um, once apprehended in prison, he went into full vegetation mode, didn't eat for himself, didn't even bathe himself or use the restroom for himself until he was hanged like 10 or 15 years later, which is recent, only a couple of years ago now, I think. Um, uh, at least he dedicated himself to a vegetative state, um, probably because they were more diligent and didn't give him shit like razor blades. Um, I hope whoever did that is uh, regretful. Uh, who gave uh, Israel Keys that blade. Um, but it sounds like he probably would have tried to hang himself anyway. The world is definitely better off without him. That uh, that much, that's just to say the least. Um, was he possessed? Well, it's interesting to note that he mentioned a resonance with Ted Bundy. And not just that, but the entity comments that Ted Bundy used to drop, um, which according to people that knew him beforehand, like I believe um, uh, his uh, girlfriend at the time went into it in one of the Bundy, like the Bundy tape documentaries, where she mentioned that this was something that he brought up. This was something that was in his mind and had been brought up at least once um, before modeling it as a as a defense. And for what it's worth, Bundy was at least smart enough to know that that really wasn't going to play. He wasn't going to be able to get off in any sort of legal sense using a demonic possession case. But he did drop it more and more. He used that to sort of muddy the waters and probably had all sorts of schemes he was he was trying to cook up. He was definitely a smart psychopath uh, narcissist. But like uh, we talked about in the beginning, um. Without going into religious orthodoxy, can we say that these people were driven by impulses that they fed into that opened up what you could call sort of gateways of the nervous system, um, impulsiveness, and, and these neuro this neuronal uh, activity, uh, this neurological activity that is um, mostly unprecedented in the human brain like a haywire, just a total spasm. Um, and suddenly they're on a deviant path, a predatory, animalistic, devolved path that they can hardly control. 
And again, that that isn't to take away from the um, the agency of their decisions. Um, they should certainly be tried for their actions. Um, I've mentioned that before in other episodes, so I haven't stated that in the last couple episodes, but just for whoever hasn't heard it, we have to, our legal system has to deal with the real world or the physical world, let's say. So even if there is Jungian psychoanalysis, the autonomy of trauma here, that much we can see. And even if that stems further, uh, we're still going to have to try these people based on their actions. I mean, realistically, everyone has the option to, if you're a serial killer with impulses, just kill yourself. Sorry, I'm not trying to advocate suicide, but if you're someone like that, um, and you're all and you're already down the rabbit hole, if you've already started murdering people, like, hey, if there's a chance you go get help and you have impulses, don't kill yourself. But if you're already down the rabbit hole and you've already um, past the point of no return, whether it be murdering someone or just, you know, uh, going too far down the sadistic crime rabbit hole, like just go away. If you can't lock you, if you can't turn yourself in, just kill yourself. And, you know, I, I might lose a listener for that, but I honestly feel that and I'm not advocating that people with empathy do that. But if you're just a psychopath using people out there, um, I don't think you should be around. Uh, so I guess uh, Israel Keys at least did us that favor, but if only we could have made him suffer a little longer and killed him on our own terms. Um, I wouldn't know, but I imagine that might feel a little more like justice for the uh, victims' families, at the very least. So, yeah, um, I do think uh, Israel Keys had this uh, this weird neurological devolved serial killer brain wiring. But again, I don't think that um, he should have been tried any differently for it. I just think it's interesting to note what the hell's going on here. We don't know for sure, but we can see pieces of it. And I think that's about it for now. Rest in peace to all the victims. Thank you to all the officers that um, have helped uh, that helped bring Israel Keys in. And hey, I brought up police officers, but also let's let it just be said that I understand police corruption. So do the good police officers out there. So um, all cops are bastards is just not something I get behind. But most cops, a lot of cops are bastards. Sure. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but not all of them. I mean, my dad can be a dickhead, but I love him and he's a good dude. He's not a bad cop. And because of him, I know a lot of good cops. So just because there was already the air of that vaguely, uh, I figured I'd, you know, state that, but also let's, let's, uh, as a, as a nation, you know, get behind police reform as even the good cops would want us to do and do want us to do. So anyway, you know, without cops, without good cops, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to crack down on these things. If there was no law, if there was no uh, police officer, anything, you know, humanity's gone too far. Like maybe we could have existed without that thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, but there's too many people. There's too many variables with a bigger population means you're going to get a wider variety of people and you're going to get more outright like damn near unexplainable deviance like people like israel keys so let's keep in mind that there's good cops out there i guess and that's about as political as you'll probably ever hear me get on this show uh until we talk about freemasonry and then i'll be forced to get a little more political but we're gonna get some mason uh friends on the show for that one to help me out um i don't have that plan that'll be coming down the pipe at some point i think that will be pd newman who is a Mason and the guy who I've mentioned a little bit on the show um, wrote the book angels in Vermilion, um showing strong evidence for John D using DMT to create the Anakian magical system, you know, the astrologer of the queen and so forth in like the 16th century, I believe. Um, at uh, some point soon, I'm going to be having AP strange back on the show 
to talk about the Goblin Universe, the Fortean book, um, a, the sort of the first book in the modern era in the Fortean lens. You know, Fortean being like unexplainable research, you know, Bigfoot, aliens, everything um, about metaphysics and these unexplainable phenomena, whether it be UFOs and everything else. And and for those of you that have read my book, Hunt Manual, you'll understand that um, my book is somewhat a, a tiny bit spiritual successor to the Goblin universe. Um, they're definitely not the same books, but in the same sort of spirit. Um, and I, it took me the longest time to find a PDF. The, the, the physical copies, like hundreds of dollars, just because they're, they're not printed much. And it's even difficult to find a PDF. Well, um, I would talk about that book in my book, Hunt Manual. And I say in the book, I wasn't even able to come across this, but I've read enough about it to understand some details. I can at least talk about the book, uh, but it should be stated that I haven't read it. Um, and I didn't start writing my book because of it either. But AP Strange was cool enough to dig through his digital crates and find me an old PDF of the Goblin Universe. So I read it, and we're going to talk about it together. It's going to be a very interesting classical Fortean conversation um that could be next week no promises but i do feel confident saying that it will be soon uh so just some teasers there thanks for tuning in everybody don't forget this is black hoodie alchemy i'm anthony tyler we'll see you next week take care